0: I'm Pastor Kevin. So glad you're here. Good to see you. You're my favorite church in the whole wide world. Welcome to everybody watching us online, Facebook live streaming, and on our website, and hello over in the family venue. We're in a at the end of a series, this has been my favorite series of the year so far, except for maybe January when we did Breakthroughs of the Bible. But I've loved this, BYOB, Bring Your Own Bible, because we've talked about why the Bible and not some other book, uh, some other system of thought. And then we asked the question, how do we know that the Bible is reliable and that it hasn't been changed or manipulated over the centuries to... By people to make us behave in a way that they want us to, right? How do we know that it's accurate? And we thoroughly covered that. We talked about how that even secular scholars from Yale, which is not a bastion of conservatism by any means, have confirmed that the Bible is 99.6% accurate. Of course, it's 100% accurate. They're, They're allowed, I guess, 0.4% 0.4% error, margin of error. But nonetheless, we've discovered that the Bible is historically accurate. It is theologically accurate, philosophically accurate. It is archaeologically accurate. In fact, there has never been an archaeological discovery that has disproved the Bible. In fact, the contrary, they have all proven the Bible. So you can read it with confidence. Science has not disproved the Bible. But rather, it has done the opposite. It has proven the Bible. Somebody asked me recently, whenever science discovers something that confirms the Bible, does it give you more faith in the Bible? My answer is always the same, no. It gives me more faith in science. I already had faith in the Bible. So, last week I told you that if you wanted me to send it to you, I would, and I still will. We have 11 things that the Bible taught us way before science figured it out. And if you would like for me to email those to you, please indicate so on your connection card. Or you can shoot us a text, or you can... Email us at office, office at harvestmobile.com, and just say, send me the 11 things, and we'll be happy to do that. And many of you have requested my notes for this series. If you can read them, you're welcome to them, and I'll be happy to send them to you if you are interested in that. So we're going to shift gears a little bit today. So if you want some more of that, Heady stuff. We got into physics a couple of weeks ago. We got into archaeology and different things like that, existential crisis, and some really smart, sounding stuff that the Bible answers. And if you want that, go back to the archive, listen to those messages, On our website, harvestmobile.com, just click on the watch tab, and better yet, go to YouTube, subscribe to our Harvest Church Mobile YouTube channel, and you'll get notifications about when we post new messages, and they're all on YouTube for your viewing convenience. All right, so today we're going to shift gears a little bit as we conclude this series, because today's kind of the punchline of the whole thing. Uh, There's one simple practical application that I'm trying to get you to implement in your life. And I will concede that this is not the typical kind of stuff that I go over on Sunday morning in, in this series. But when summertime gets here, I realize that I usually get my hardcore churchgoers that are here. So I'm giving you a little bit more meaty stuff over the last few weeks, and today is no exception, but it's going to be a real simple, practical takeaway take that you can apply to your life that will add horsepower to your life immediately. Anybody interested in that? All right. So here's, here's five questions that are the source of every human problem that humanity faces, And the quest for the answers to these five questions explains a lot of people's behavior. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, behave. (laughs) All right. So question number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. The question is, who am I? Who am I? This is a question of identity. And how many know that the fashion industry Makes its living on this question. People are always trying to flash a brand or a label, um, that sort of thing, and you got to pay big money to sport certain people's label, and uh, which is why I just like my own name. I prefer to wear, wear my own stuff, so as opposed to paying them a bunch of money to put a Nike swoosh or whatever. So, but who am I? Identity. Who am I? People want to know who they are. Second question is: Is where am I from? Where am I from? Say, so, well, I'm from uh, I'm from Mobile, Alabama, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your source, your origin. Where did you originate? And by the way, I'm not talking about your ethnicity here. <clears throat> You can never find out who you are until you find out where you're from. Oh, my ancestors are from Africa. Or my ancestors are are, uh, American Indian. Or my ancestors are from... No, no, no. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about before that. Because we are all one race, the Bible says. We all came from one man. You chase us back far enough, you get to the boat or the garden. Okay? So we're all related. I know it's kind of weird, but it's also kind of cool. Somebody asked me not long ago, said, what do you believe about interracial marriage at your church? I said, oh, we don't believe in interracial marriage because um, we're all one race. There's no such thing as interracial marriage. You know, so you know what science is telling us now? That we're all different shades of the same color. So there's, there's one color on the planet. Say, wait a minute, that's not true. Yeah, it is. We're all the same color, just different shades. That's what science is telling, the secular science is telling us now. I mean, you cut us, we bleed the same, we got the same DNA, we're all the same. So we don't believe in interracial marriage because there's no such thing. You can marry whoever you want to. You better like them. (laughs) Now we don't believe in interspecies marriage. That's kind of weird, sick, gross. All right? So nobody's busting up in here with their, you know, fiance who's a gorilla or something like that. Maybe metaphorically, but that's beside the point. You can go to counseling for that. But anyway, so the question is, is who am I? The second question is, Is where am I from? Where, where are you from? We're we'll going to talk about that in a second. Here's question number three. Why am I here? Some of you are asking that right now. Why am I here? I'm just, somebody said, I'll buy you lunch if you go to church with me, or... You wanted to hear the grand finale of BYOB. Some of you are here because you're like, I want to go to a church that does a sermon series called BYOB. I think that's just totally irreligious, and I love it. So so I'm glad you're here. Or maybe you're here because you have questions about the Bible and you want to find some answers. And the question is, why am I here? Other words, what is your purpose? What's your purpose? And I want you to know that you have one, that God has designed a purpose for you. You're not here by accident. Why am I here? Question number four is, what can I do? What can I do? Your potential. You have potential. Skill is learned. Gifts are given. And most people are living way below their true ability. You think that's true? They have way more in them than they are tapping into. You have way more in you than you're tapping into. And I think our educational system is a big part of that problem, but I will not get on that soapbox today. But I will just say this, that their exams cannot test your potential. They're not capable of testing your potential. I know, because I didn't do so well on those exams. (laughs) They did not test my potential, that's for sure. So what can I do? And then finally, question number five is, where am I going? Where am I going? What's my destiny? What's my, of course, your eternal destiny, but what's your destiny here on planet Earth while you're here? All right, a couple of foundational things. Every human is wired for success. I think I would go so far as to say every human in their core wants to be successful. Nobody wants to be a failure. You know, like that sailor who got born to lose on his arm. And, and when they asked the, uh, the, the Chinese tattoo artist, when the guy walked out, he goes, did a lot of people get that tattoo? And he says, oh, yeah. Uh, he, but he have tattooed on mine before tattooed on arm. Born to, but we're not born to lose. You're actually born to win. You're wired for success. And on, in your core, you want to succeed. And the Bible is actually, a, among other things, a guidebook to success. But a certain kind of success. What kind of success is that? It's called good success. How many know that all, not all success is good? You can succeed at the wrong thing. You can climb the ladder of success only to find that when you get to the top, it's leaning against the wrong wall. So what? how do you define success? I define it this way, my personal definition is, is when you discover your destiny and then you make progress towards fulfilling it, that's success. You're succeeding. And then when you fulfill it, you've succeeded. So when you find out why God put you here, and then then you be about doing it. The Bible says in Joshua chapter one and verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Whose mouth? That's right. Your mouth. Not your preacher's mouth, not your praying wife's mouth, or your praying grandfather's mouth, your mouth. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. I mean, it's not just enough to have the prescription filled. If it's going to do you any good, you've got to put it where? In your mouth. Heard about that guy came in six weeks later and he wasn't any better. And they said, Well, did you get your prescription filled? He goes, Yeah, it's sitting right there. I even sleep with it some nights. I mean, that's not what you do. you got to put it in your mouth. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. How I many of what you say is headed your way? It's important what you say. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. And you shall meditate on it day and night. Then you will make your way prosperous. And you will have Good success. That's the good kind of success. All right. So yes, success is God's will for your life. He wired it in your DNA. You are born to win. There's certain things on the inside of you that you were just born with, and there's the other things that you're born again with. There was some stuff that wasn't in me until I was born again. But God just wired me that way. You're wired a certain way because there's a certain thing and certain things that you're called to do. All right getting ahead of myself. Now, whatever... Well, first of all, success is predictable. Just like the laws of gravity are predictable, the laws of success are predictable. You jump off the roof, you're not going to fly unless you have learned how to supersede the laws of gravity. And there are that's the law of lift and thrust, but you got to have certain equipment for that. So the laws are predictable. Success laws are predictable. Now, consequently... Failure is also predictable. You follow certain principles, you're going to fail. So there are laws that govern success, laws that govern failure. Learn the laws of success and you'll succeed. So whatever you are today, I'm about to drop a truth bomb on you. Some of you are going to like it. Some of you are going to hate it. Some of you are going to say amen. Some of you are going to say, oh my. Some of you are going to say, not me. Some of you are going to say, that must be him or her. Some of you are just going to go, oh Lord Jesus, I wish I hadn't heard that. Now it's going to set you free. Are you ready? Here's the truth bomb. I'm about to drop it. Whoever you are today, you have decided to become. Whatever you are today, you have decided to become. So from this moment forward, decide to take 100% responsibility for who and what you are. I'm writing a book. And I had not decided the title of the book yet, but one of the chapter titles is The Blame Game. So today, I'm inviting you, challenging you even, if you can handle it, to stop playing The Blame Game and to take charge of your life, to take responsibility for who and what you are. And if you don't like who and what you are, that's, that's, that's good. That's good news. You can decide to be something else, starting right now. You, don't have, you can decide to not be in debt. You can decide to not be overweight. You can decide to be healthy. You can decide to have a great marriage. You can decide to have a good relationship with your children or your grandchildren. Now, you can't control other people. Other people have a part to play in their part. But as far as you're concerned your life, you can be healthy and prosperous and happy, disciplined. You can be who you want to be. Can I get an amen? So we're going to quit blaming other people for the state we're in, and we're going to take responsibility, and we're going to make different choices. Isn't that right? So God, here's some more good news. God himself is committed to your success. I'm going to get a little closer to y'all. I don't think you can hear me real good. Is this on? God himself is committed to your success. And let me tell you why. Because it's good advertising for him. Your success is good for God. In other words, he needs you to succeed. It's good for his reputation. Every product manufacturer, they put their name or their image on a product when it's finished. Right? Mercedes, Prada... Whoever your fubu, so whoever your brand is, penguin. Anybody penguin fans out there? Yep, I'm the only one. My kids say, "Dad, that's old man clothes. You can't wear those." But I like them. Anyway, um, Armani. I also like Armani. This is this is Armani T-shirt I have on. But I like it because there's no branding on it anywhere. You might have thought I got it at Target. You don't know. Target, sorry. So, uh, but, but this is a Beakers coffee mug. Best, if this was a hand-thrown, custom-made pottery for the best coffee shop in the area, Beakers, across the bay. If you go across the big bridge, turn into, um, what's the name of that big sports place? Fast Pro Shop, and you know, there's a container, container park, and in the container park is Beakers Coffee. They sell shaved ice and ice cream, and it's owned by Josh and Heather Sands, sitting on the second row. Best coffee around. But their mark is right here on the mug. After the mug was finished, they put their brand or their identity on it, their image, if you will. Now, on the back of my iPhone, and I am waiting for the new iPhone to come out, uh, and I'm going to be getting it, and this one's going to become my iPod. <laughs> But on the back, there's a little apple there, right? You see where Eve took a bite out of it right there? Tree of knowledge. That's the end. We know what they're doing. Maybe Apple's the Antichrist. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> until we figure it out, I'm going to use our phone. But anyway, they put the apple, their brand, their mark on the back of the product. But they didn't put it there until the item was finished. Not only finished, but tested and finished. Tested for what? tested for quality and tested for functionality. And once they determined that it was high quality and it worked properly, then they said, now we can put our name on it. Now we can put our image on it. And now we can say, hey, everybody, that's right. That's our product right there. Because if it doesn't work, in fact, some companies spend millions of dollars to recall certain items to bring them back to repair them before they give them back to the customer. Why? Because it's good for their name. Now here's what I want you to know. I said all that to say, God made you in his image. He put his mark on you. And before he did that though, <clears throat> he tested you for quality and for quality assurance. And I'm sure he recorded the call for quality assurance. And once he made sure that you were functional and that you were quality, he said, yep, that's my brand, that's my image, Put his name on you. Okay. Now, when you open the box of like a a, a new, I wish i brought a box of iPhone in here. You take the little box off, and right on top, the first thing you see, before you see the phone and everything, there's a little book. You peel that book out, and I have a, this is actually an owner's manual to a, a vehicle, but you pull that little book out, and the book begins to tell you all the amazing things that your phone can do. It tells you all the features. It tells you all the potential. It makes promises and guarantees. Did you know that a lot of us are living way below our features? We have way more features than we're enjoying in our life. How do I know about these features? You have to read the book. My mom just got a new vehicle. And when turned on, like a spaceship kind of screen comes up. And she doesn't even know what all it does yet. Right? Anybody ever had a vehicle and you didn't even know what all it could do yet? It's like driving a computer. A lot of us can do a lot more than we realize we can do because we haven't read the owner's manual yet, which is called the book, the Bible. Now, if you turn to the back... Of the little book, there's two pages. There is a warranty and a guarantee. Come on, somebody, this, this, this will this preach. So the warranty, and this, this is this what it says? That if there's a defect, we will replace the parts at our own expense. That's why we believe in divine healing and divine health. Why? They the manufacturer does this for themselves for their own namesake. So the success of the product protects the name of the manufacturer. Your success protects the name of your manufacturer. So when God decided to create man, he created you in his own image. And and did you know that speaking of your origin, you did not begin when you were born, you existed before that. Now, I don't know all the details, but I do know what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1. It's God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you. Did you know that you are known and you are ordained? Ordained means set apart for a certain purpose. Now, since I was a little kid, I, would find, I just sing all the time. My oldest is that way. He sings all the time. I would sing stuff that I heard in my head, though. I wasn't singing everybody else's songs. I was singing my own songs. I was making them up. And, well, that's part of who I am. I'm a songwriter. So far for me, it's been a hobby. But I've recorded An album's worth of music. I've got another album's worth of music in the studio that we have over here in our church. I just sent a song off to a producer to to be able to be packaged to be pitched to some a couple of artists in Nashville and one in L.A. Now, why did I I just decide I wanted to be a songwriter? I actually I didn't, but it's just in me. And one day I'm like, I I gotta figure out how to play an instrument, so I start playing some of the stuff I hear in my head. I'm just wired that way. Okay, now there's things that you're wired. Like I got a, I got a friend of mine. I bought an old '72 Ford pickup truck, and I got a buddy of mine. He can take it apart and put it back together, fix parts, all that kind of stuff. He's wired that way. I'm not. I'm wired to take it to him. But he just he just sees it. And he can't help himself. He's like, oh, I know how to fix that. You do? You ever fixed one like that before? No, but I think I can figure it out. And he does. It's amazing the way his brain works. When I was in fourth grade, Mrs. Bishop, she said, we're going to do show and tell every Monday. Every student's going to get five minutes. You can tell us about something you did over the weekend, or you can bring something like your rock collection, or you can bring something to show us, whatever. And so after the second week of this, other kids were like, Mrs. Bishop, can I give Kevin my five minutes? We want to hear him talk more. And there was at one point I was preaching every, for 30 minutes every Monday morning to my fourth grade class. I was telling stories and making them laugh like a stand-up routine. And Mrs. Bishop, she just sat back at her desk and enjoyed it. She started calling me her little preacher boy. Now, that's just in me. They say that the number one fear in America is the fear of public speaking. The second fear is the fear of death. What? Kill me, but don't maybe get in front of people and talk. All right? Why? Because <laughs> you might die. I mean, <laughs> so I defy death every week, and I love it. I love In fact, the bigger the crowd, the more fun I have. I love it. It's just, it's, I'm wired that way. Now, when I was in fifth grade, I had a mean teacher. Who, I was going through a tough time in my life, and she was mean, and she actually broke my spirit and said some things over me. And I made some inner vows, and that's when I started cussing and hanging out with the wrong kids and trying chewing tobacco and all this kind of stuff, and got a little attitude. I started, my goal was to make her life miserable, and um, and I did a pretty good job. I think she retired after that year. But but then sixth grade, guess what happened? I'm a little rebellious sixth grader, and guess guess who this. Who decided to follow us up to sixth grade and be our teacher, Mrs. Bishop? And she said, "There's my little preacher boy." And I was like, "Yeah, hey, preacher boy." And she, but she always called me her little preacher boy. And I'd do something, you know, I'd push a kid down or something I shouldn't have been doing, and she goes, "That's not you, Kevin." That's not who you are. I mean, she spoke into my destiny. And you know what? Thank God for that. It nudged me into a better trajectory. But theres you're wired a certain way, and God's put things in, in you. And there's no devil in hell or no mean teacher or anybody who can take that away from you. You decide who you're going to be, and you decide that you're going to be the person that God made you to be. How do I know? what? The, this is not a hammer. If you try to use it as one, it'll break it. But it can do other amazing things. How do I know what it's for? The design. How do I know what my car is for? The design. How do you know what a saw is for? You get a clue from the design. You're designed in such a way that's a clue to what your purpose in earth is. And your origins are that before you were formed in your mother's womb, you were in heaven with God. And God dispatched you and put you in a body for such a time as this. Now, you can't control where you're born, what color you are, or who your parents are. There are some, certain things that are just preordained in God's sovereignty. But none of that matters in the sense of it doesn't stop you from being, fulfilling the destiny that God has on your life. God knew who your parents were going to be before you were even born. Now, so no more blame in your game, right? So the purpose is built into the product. That's why you don't decide your destiny, you discover it. All right, I'm setting you up, I'm laying a foundation. Success in life is the result of decisions. Failure in life is the result of what? Decisions. Everybody becomes what they decide to be. In other words, we all come into this earth, but it's up to you to decide how much of you manifests in this earth. Chew on that for a while. Let me put it in modern-day vernacular. Do you, boo. <laughs> the world needs you. Now, here's the sermon in the sentence today. We're going to look at a couple of verses and go. John the Baptist, Jesus... The boy king, Josiah, they all had incredible callings and potential locked on the inside of them, but it wasn't until they read the owner's manual that they discovered who they were and released that potential into human history. So let's talk about John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, nope. It's good to know who you're not. Verse 22, then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? It's important what you say about yourself. And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. So John was quoting Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3. One day, John was reading along through through the scrolls, through the Bible. And he got to that verse and it says, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And something on the inside of John said, that's you, John, that's you. He discovered who he was in the scripture, his name was in the book. His name was The Voice. Y'all didn't know that show was in the Bible, did you? The Voice. (laughs) And then we have Josiah. And it says in 2 Kings 22, you have to realize that Manasseh was a cruel, evil king. We talked about him last week. When he died, his son became king. And he was so bad, they assassinated him about six months in. And they installed his eight-year-old son, Josiah, as the king. I mean, you know you a knucklehead when they'd rather your eight-year-old son be the king than you, right? And so here's Josiah. It says in chapter 22 of 2 Kings, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, or I like to say Jedi, <laughs> verse 2. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And it came to pass in the 18th year of Josiah, and I don't know if it was his 18th year or the 18th year of his reign, so he was somewhere between the ages of 18 and 26, that he sent Shaphan the scribe, the son of Aziliah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So the scribe, Shaphan, went to the king, bringing the king word, giving him an update on the renovations in the temple and all that. And then he says, almost parenthetically, he says, And king, by the way, the priest has given me a book. He didn't even call it the book. He just said, some. Book. They found some book and thought you might be interested in what it says. The king's like, Well, sure, what does it say? He goes, Well, it says something really interesting. We think you ought to hear it. And they read to the king out of the book... And the Bible says, when Josiah heard the words of the book, that he tore his royal robes, he repented of his own sin, he inquired of the Lord, and then he went on a royal rampage throughout the nation, commanding everyone to repent of their sin, of their idolatry, and to turn to God with all their heart. I mean, in fact, the Bible says that never has any king turned to God with all their heart like Josiah. Not even David, not Solomon, nobody. There was never a king like this king. And so when I read that story, I'm like, man, I wish they'd have told us what they read to him. I mean, I'd like to read that portion myself. But I want you to know that when you read the book... It'll have the same impact on you because Josiah went from being a mouse to a man. He went from being a wimp to a warrior. He went from being a kid to being a king. And what did that to him? It was the words of the book. Well, I found out what they read to him. If you'll go back 300 years to 1 Kings chapter 13, that's 300 years before this time, approximately, an amazing thing happened. Now, there was a king named Jeroboam who was introducing Israel to idol worship. And he was about to make his inaugural sacrifice to false gods. And right before he made the sacrifice, God sent a prophet with a prophetic word. I love it when he does that. And this is what the prophet said in that moment, 300 years before Josiah tore his robes. It says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out, O altar, altar. And so he was talking to the altar. How many of the prophets are a little funny sometimes? They're a little different. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, Shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones will be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken is true. The altar will split apart, and all the ashes shall be poured out. So he's talking to the altar. And he says, 300 years from today, there's a kid that will be born, and his name will be Josiah, and he's going to undo all this idolatry. He's, in fact, he's going to take that false priest, and he's going to sacrifice you on this altar. And as a sign that what I'm saying is true, I command this altar to split in half and spill out all of its ashes, and it split in half, and it spilled out all the ashes. And the king was so angry, he stretched out his hand, and he says, arrest that man. And as he did, the Bible says his hand withered. And the fear of God came upon him. And he goes, oh, man of God, please be merciful to me. Please pray for me that I'll be healed. And he did. And, and God restored his hand. It was a sign and a wonder. That, that day in Josiah's throne room, they said, King, we got something you need to hear. This is, <coughs> sorry for the dust, but this is about 300 years old. King, your name is in the book. And it says that you're going to do some stuff. And guess what? When he heard his name, he got up and he went and did the stuff. Here's what I want you to see today. Your name is in the book. How do you find it? Real easy. You start reading the book. I wish I had time to tell you that, you know, Jesus, he found himself in the book. In fact, his name is in every book of the Bible. I wish I had time to tell you that in... In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman who crushed the serpent, serpent's head. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's a prophet like Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of the armies of the Lord. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and 2 Samuel, he's a trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's the reigning king. In Ezra, he's the, in Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human lives. I wish I had time to tell you that in the book of Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace of life I wish I had time to tell you that in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, and he's the tithe offering of God, God's first fruit, God's best, given to save you and me and all of mankind. I wish I had time to tell you that in Matthew, he's a babe wrapped in swollen clothes, lying in the manger. In Mark, he's the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. He's the manifest word of God. In Acts, he is the Holy Ghost, poured out on his people to give us power To be a witness. In all the writings of Paul, he's God's perfect doctrine. In first in Hebrews, he's the he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In first, second, and third John, he's our prosperity. He's the perfect love of God that casts out all fear. In Jude, he's the one coming with ten thousand of his saints. And in Revelation, he's the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the Commander of all time, of all eternity, and he will come to judge all people. He's in every book of the Bible. His name is in the book. And when he was born, as he grew, he read the book. And as he read the book, he found himself. He told his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he said, all the law and the prophets, they speak of me. And if his name is in the book, I want you to know, beloved, your name, it's in the book. If you'll read it, you'll find yourself, your origins, your meaning, your purpose, your why, why you're here, where you came from, and where you're going. It's all in the owner's manual. Quit living below your privileges, quit living below your benefits. Quit living below all that you're capable of. Read the book. Find out who you are and begin to tap in. You know, they say we only use about 10% of our brain. You know how you be a genius? Use 11%. That's what I'm trying to do. I don't want to use more than that, but you are capable of more than you think you are because you are a child of the son of the living God. You are a daughter of God. You're the bride of Christ. You're the head, not the tail. You're above, not beneath. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Woo! If you just knew who you were, you'd live different. You'd walk different. You'd talk different. You'd have different. You'd do different. You would not cower in the face of disease or you would not let fear bind you. You'd be a water walking, miracle talking. You'd be a powerhouse because that's who you really are. You'd say, my daddy is the king of the universe. There ain't nothing too hard for my God. and He's my daddy. He loves me and it's his good pleasure to give me the kingdom. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants and of his sons and his daughters. That's me. Your name is in the book, so here's your practical take-home that I promised you today. Here's what I want you to do that will change your life immediately and add horsepower to your life virtually overnight. I want you to go home, and I want you to read the book. Read your owner's manual. Find out who you are, who you really are. You're not who they say you are, That you're not who your parents told you you were. Oh, you'll never amount to anything. You're going to end up in jail. No, that's not who you are. Let me, tell you, let me tell you who your daddy says you are. He says you're the apple of his eye, and you're a blessing going somewhere to happen. If you want to find out who you are, read your owner's manual. You're not, wouldn't it be cool? I think one day when we get to heaven, we'll find out there's some sort of code that your name is actually really in the book. It's like the, it is the book of life. How cool would that be? Will you bow your heads today? I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that you would put an insatiable appetite in the hearts of my church. Let them be hungry for your word and thirsty for your spirit. I pray that they would have... just a raging hunger to consume large portions of your Word, whether they're reading it, listening to it, whatever it may be because it will transform their life and conform them to the image of your son, Jesus, and they'll never be the same again. They'll live up to all their potential and discover their destiny and fulfill it in Jesus' name. And I pray that if there's anyone here that's never made Jesus the Lord of their life, that from this, they'll never fulfill their potential until they are born again. If you're here today, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I'm going to pray the prayer of salvation right now. Not going to make you stand up or make you walk forward or anything like that. Not going to embarrass you. But if you say, Pastor Kevin, please include me in that prayer. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Would you just raise your hand all over this place right now? Let me see who you are. God bless you. One, two, three, four, five. God bless you. Six. Anybody else want to join these? half dozen or so people if you're watching us online you can pray right where you are if you're in the family venue pray right there with us and ask Jesus the soon coming king to come into your heart and life right now you'll never be the same again let's all pray it together Harvest Church say it with me today say dear heavenly father I repent of my sin and I call upon the name of Jesus that I might be saved Jesus you're my Lord Fill me with your spirit from this day forward. I am yours and you are mine. I'll serve you all the days of my life. Or until you come again to take me home. In Jesus' name, amen. When one gets born again, the Bible says the angels have a throwdown party in heaven. Can we just celebrate for about 10 seconds? Six people. Hallelujah. Welcome to the family. That's what it's all about right there.